Thank you for joining us for this episode. Today, we're joined by Dr. Justin Manning, and we're going to be talking about the healthcare crisis in America on The OI Show. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Optometric Insight Show. Today, we're joined by Dr. Justin Manning, and uh, many of you may know Justin. He's been very involved in many aspects of optometry, but uh, Justin, thanks for joining us. Can you give us a little history of yourself and your introduction into optometry and public health? Yeah. Um, I've jumped from thing to thing. I grew up in private practice optometry by yeah. my father in Northeast Ohio. I uh, started practice now 40 years ago. Uh, I My family vacation every year, I always like to joke, uh, it's not really a joke though, was to optometry's meeting from age eight all the way through, you know, beyond optometry school. And, and so I, at one point I said, you know what, I've been to enough of these meetings. Optometry really is my passion as well as what I want to go into. Uh, I did a VA residency actually in your neck of the woods. I lived in Tacoma, yeah. Washington for yeah. two and a half years. Puget Sound, yeah. Great, great residency program. I was in a couple different private practices in Tacoma after that. I spent a year and a half teaching optometry in Latin America. That's ultimately where I, I started my MPH uh, degree, then moved back to the States, uh, was in an ophthalmology practice, then moved from there to an independent uh, single location, single doctor, private practice. And each stop along the way, I learned a whole lot. And I, I had a whole lot of fun building the business and bringing in new you know, specialty things like specialty contact lenses and really ramping up medical care. And at one point I said, you know, this would be a whole lot more fun if I got to help a whole lot of other doctors do this in their practices. And that's ultimately what made my, you know, help help make my leap over to the industry full time when I joined HEA as their executive vice president of professional strategies uh, in November 2019. So on the public health side, you know, it's interesting. I, I always I always like to say is both an OD with an MPH, as a doctor, you really see the system, the healthcare system from the inside. And with an MPH, you see the healthcare system from the outside. And those two views could not be more diametrically opposed. I mean, they really are vastly, vastly different. As doctors, day in and day out, we're taking care of patients. You know, if we're great doctors, we're driven by great clinical care and great patient outcomes. But we don't think beyond as much beyond them that call it a microscopic view, because we're focused day in and day out at the granular level, at the grassroots level, seeing patients. Yeah. Then as you start to you know look at the healthcare system from a 30,000 foot view, you realize we have the most expensive healthcare system out there. We spend the majority, or excuse me, we spend you know, 20, 25% of our gross domestic product on healthcare. And then when you look at what we actually get for that, that spending from an actual health quality of health standpoint, there's a lot of countries out there who have better health outcomes than we do, healthier populations. You know, it's interesting looking at how COVID-19 affected our, our uh, how COVID-19 affected our life expectancy. It, it dropped almost by a year. Average life expectancy post COVID is somewhere you know seventy seven and a half to seventy eight years of, you know at birth, and we we are among the most unhealthy from a you know population percentage with diabetes, those who are overweight or obese, I mean, activity levels, 
there's we have massive problems when it comes to that. Our our system is broken in the sense that the biggest reason you know, why people in this country file for personal bankruptcy, the biggest reason is an inability to pay medical bills. So I think but it's yeah, but yet we're spending twenty five cents of every single dollar on healthcare as a nation. It's true. And, and so that's where, again, as a doctor, we see the effects, we see our patients day in and day out, but from the public health, you know, 30,000 foot view, we realize there are a lot of things that aren't working because it's expensive. People don't access care when they need it uh, from a preventative care standpoint. And therefore they go to the emergency room when their blood pressure is 210 over a hundred and they're ready to stroke out because they're finally sick enough that they feel they have to versus, you know, well, this is probably okay. I can't really afford to go and receive preventative care. And so long story short, we, we have a lot of work to do to improve outcomes and, and work with patients on a daily basis that, that we, where we're consciously thinking about outcomes and tracking outcomes to where we can say, without a doubt, my diabetic patients are getting better. Their A1Cs are coming down. My, the levels of retinopathy in my practice are low. And I think the big thing to, to, to be aware of, especially, you know, it started with the Affordable Care Act and as well as the 21st Century Cares Act from a few years ago, there's a lot of money out there to pay for these outcomes and to pay to see patients get better. It's value-based care, population health. And so long story short, there's a lot of things that go into how patients access care, whether or not they're able to follow treatment plans. And um, it's just- So I have a couple of questions for you with regards to this. So um, is, is the problem that the healthcare system is broken or is the problem that the people that are getting the healthcare system are the broken part. And here's what I mean by that. In America, you want it, you can buy it, right? You want something, you can buy it. So the perception is, as I want to be healthy, so I'm going to buy it. I'm going to pay lots of money for it. Um, and is it that as healthcare providers, we don't have the solutions or the solutions are super expensive? Or is it that, you know, my doctor is telling me I need to exercise more, but I don't, I don't want to get off the couch. And so I'm the problem. Is it, is it the chicken or the egg? I think the easy answer to that is yes. That, <laughs> that, that is the case. It, it, it is without a doubt, a doubt, both things. It, with, it, without a doubt, it's both the system being broken and it's us as a population that I think is broken because we have incentivized from a payment standpoint, you know, tertiary level care and intervention. We make it call it easy. As you said, we can just buy it. It's a lot more difficult to get out, get exercise, eat healthier. It's more, it's more costly to eat healthier. First off, it's more expensive to do that, but it's, it is, it's uh, the system doesn't work as well as it could, but at the same time, you know, people were not incentivized or encouraged. You know, it's a lot more difficult to follow specific treatment plans so yeah, it's it's not really the chicken or the egg. It's really both and. and. And I suppose the way that I look at it is there are things that we as doctors in how we take care of our patients that we can do to help that second piece, not so much the, the system piece, but the encouraging behavior change and recognizing the theories of how behavior change happens for those chronic care conditions. How can we work with our patients to get out and exercise, to be healthier, 
there's also a, a term in, in public health or in population health, uh, social determinants of health, which are factors that impact our patient's ability to be healthy that we as doctors don't really have control over. You know, there's some interesting maps that look at, you know, based upon, it breaks down by county level, you know, you can overlay the, you know, the prevalence of diabetes in, at a county level with those individuals who have no car and no you know, supermarket or grocery store within a mile. And you can overlay that map with self-reported activity levels. And you'll see that where the prevalence of diabetes is high, there's a far higher population of self-reported inactivity, as well as a much higher percentage of people who don't have a vehicle and don't have a grocery store within a mile. So those, those social determinants of health are factors that impact. It doesn't, it doesn't take away personal responsibility, but it's things we in the healthcare system, we as doctors have to take into consideration when it comes to, if I'm going to prescribe, you know, if I have 20 patients and all 20 of them are new glaucoma patients, and I'm going to write them a prescription for just say generic latanoprost, there's a percentage of those patients who, as much as they would like to be able to follow that treatment plan, may not, it's not that they may not be able to, but there are factors like their ability to get to the pharmacy or there, there are factors that impact their ability to comply with that treatment plan as opposed to everybody in the practice. Mm -hmm. So those are those factors that play into this sort of, I guess, chicken or the egg question that you throw out there. So some of it is is uh, a money problem. Some of it is a behavior problem. Some of it is a uh, an educational problem. So in in the eye care space, you know, uh, what do we do? How 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 do we as individual optometrists work locally to treat this major problem within our communities and in our country? I think it's a great question. I think the first the first thing that we have to think about are those factors. When you go into a patient encounter, perhaps there's a factor within this individual's life or factors that may challenge their ability to comply with the treatment plan. And we manage a lot of chronic conditions like dry eye, like AMD, like glaucoma, like diabetes, hypertension. And we work across care teams as, as well when it comes to PCP specialists. We're an integrated part of the system. But I think there's a few things that we, we can do easily today to start moving the ball forward. Again, thinking about some of those factors that may, this patient in front of me may not be able to comply with this treatment plan, or they may need a little bit extra when it comes to how we go about facilitating that treatment. So that's one thing. The, I think the biggest thing is communication amongst providers. There's a big problem with duplication and fragmentation of care in the system. And a lot of that has to do with you know, I order blood work, but if I don't necessarily send it or I send it via fax and that fax never reaches the doctor's desk, they go in two weeks from now, they see the, the PCP who orders the exact same blood work that I just ordered. Now that patient's paying twice and it didn't need to be done. Or the patient, I referred the patient out to some other you know, specialist and then the patient doesn't go because the communication loop was broken. And then that causes long-term implications because the patient didn't receive the care that they needed. So 
from a doctor to doctor patient communication standpoint, I think that's key. Uh, a, a while ago, we wanted to get rid of fax altogether. Each EHR system has secure messaging built into it, sending everything, your reports via secure messaging upfront. It's a little extra work, but the best part is a lot of that information drops directly into your PCP's EHR platform. And when they communicate back, it drops right into your platform uh, as well. So it's a much more streamlined, safe, and integrated way of communicating information. I think the, the biggest thing for me, why I get super you know passionate about this stuff is, in my opinion, it's a lot of where patient care, public health, and business come together because it's about creating healthier patients. It's about creating happier patients. It's about building a better experience so that they're able to receive the treatment plans and comply with the treatment plans and come back when they're supposed to for follow-up care. And it's building referral networks with other providers that in the end drive growth within your business especially if you're a private practice owner. So I think those are two, you know, there's so many things that we could do. I think those are two really critical ones that we can think about as we go in day in and day out is communication and not just a simple diabetic report that you fax, but communicating, sending reports to all PCPs from all comprehensive exams or ongoing follow-up for chronic conditions that may impact their overall systemic health and sending it via secure messaging. And again, acknowledging those patients who may not be able to comply with treatment plans or other factors that may get in the way. And perhaps thinking outside the box as to how you can you know, help or work with others in your community, other associations, other organizations to help facilitate some of those those, uh, you know, break down some of those social factors, some of those barriers. Yeah. So, so Justin, my, my daughter has a, a healthcare issue and we, we go to the children's hospital locally and we meet with, you know, a team of three or four doctors and, um, you know, at almost every appointment that we have, we always have an appointment with a social worker as well. And, um, you know, I was kind of like, well, we don't need this, but what that social worker does is they meet with every family of every appointment and they kind of go through care plans and access and how is it working? And, you know, how, how do we implement something like that? That's happening at a gigantic children's hospital with incredible resources and donors and funding into our practice on a smaller scale. You know, I'm, I'm not going to be able to bring in a social worker that's going to meet with every one of my, you know, glaucoma patients that I'm diagnosing to check on them if they're getting it. But um, there are resources that uh, that are available, right? You, you ask Allergan or Novartis or Alcon, you know, and they all have resources to get patients medications where they're, mm -hmm. you know, they don't have the money to do so. So, you know, you're, you, you've been in private practice, like what are some good practices that I can start implementing, you know, in my practice to be able to, to help patients who don't have resources or don't have access to be able to incorporate more help than what I'm doing right now? Cause I'd like to imagine, and you, 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 you would too, is that no patient should go without treatment. And, and I, you know, we, we do that and you did that in practice is that if somebody couldn't afford the treatment, sometimes we pay for it as clinicians, right? And that's the beauty about 
um, the system that we have is we make enough money over here and we can ourselves pay for some things over here and and so forth. So there was a lot there to unpack, but we'll no, but I think it. it's I think it's really an interesting experience. Your own experience bringing in, okay, an individual private practice may not have the resources to hire a, a, a licensed clinical social worker to help you as a doctor with a ton of resources navigate your own daughter's care plans and the specialties that they that your daughter sees. Uh, you know, I think we can think we can think inside the box. We can also think outside the box for for some of this. I think when it comes to those resources that you mentioned, a lot of it I think boils down to the patient experience. And we may know that those resources are out there, but have we ultimately set out listed? These are all of the resources, and work with your your local reps that you know can help you organize all these resources to where it's very easy. It makes it easy for your team members in the practice to help those patients who may, again, you got to identify them. And that's a bit of a challenge to start asking some of these social determinants of health type questions. That's an obstacle in and of itself, right? It is. It, it absolutely is. But having all of those resources that each individual company has available to patients who may be more challenged in their their ability to to comply with the treatment plan, have that in one spot and one team member who is in charge of that. So if you identify Ms. Smith needs or Mr. Smith needs, you know, needs this resource, you have it boom right there here, Ms. Smith, let me, or Mr. Smith, let me help you walk through that process and let's do it for you. Again, you as the doctor, you're on to see the next patient, but you have a team member now creating an amazing experience for this challenging patient uh, or this patient who feels a challenge in complying with the treatment plan to walk them through the process and get them the resources that they need inside the box. I think outside the box, we can think beyond, you know, take a similar model, but practices can work with companies that have health coaches. And even if you're not directly employing a health coach, certified health coach in your practice, there are companies that provide health coaches that you can contract with to where after your, you know, your patient would meet, with their health coach or a health coach to help them with this sort of psychological piece of behavior change and how you move forward. There's certified diabetic educators out there that a practice could work with and bring in, even if it's on a part-time basis. Um, There are certain requirements there as to what type of provider you have to be to be able to be a, a certified diabetic educator. There's optometrists out there who are CDEs, but you could bring one into your practice or perhaps work with other practices to tag team hiring and you know you split the cost of a certified diabetic excuse me certified diabetic educator who comes to your practice two days a week who goes to another practice a day a week goes to another practice two days a week and you're able to provide that extra level of of care and and think beyond the four walls of your exam room. So I think you got some, some options both inside the box and outside the box just to start moving things forward. Yeah. I think the big part about it is to just step back and think about it. Right. And that's where, that's where it starts. I don't think we give ourselves enough time to do that. And and I see that in, in this, you know, clinical care, public health side of things, but I see it in the business 
side, working with HEA and, and serving the business needs of more than 10,000 independent eye care professionals, there's so much overlap in these areas where we do just need to take a step back, put on our management leadership CEO hat within the practice and go, what needs to be addressed? What do I need to change? What do I need to advance or move forward? And let's devise a plan for doing that. And I think there's so much value in just, even if we feel at the very core that we cannot take a step back from patient care, that we have to, because it makes us more effective and efficient in how we address some of these needs or move forward with some of these plans or, or the ideas that we have that we want to that we want to change. It's taking yeah. that step back, thinking about it, devising a plan, writing that plan down, engaging with everybody in the practice. You got to get the entire team on board with some of these changes you plan to make and outline how you're going to get there. Cast that vision and go for it and hit it as hard as you can. Yeah. It applies to public health. It applies to, to running your independent business. Yeah, I just think this is a this is a classic example of the problem with the information age. Is we have so much information, we have, you know, uh, we have Netflix at our fingertips. We have podcasts ready to go. Some of the most impactful drive homes at night when is when nothing's on, and I'm just sitting there thinking. Uh, but we don't do that. We don't stop and think, right? As as individuals and humans in today's day and age, we have too much information to stop and think about how to use that information. Uh, pretty much all the resources are available. It's just how do you go about utilizing them? And that's a stop and think scenario. So certainly a good problem to have, but it's something where we have to consciously, let's take a step back. Let's think about our practice. Let's think about the access to care that all of our patients have. Uh, we're so busy trying to get and use, utilize uh, all of our, our moments of our time in our business that maybe we could become more efficient and that may generate more money, right? That's, mm -hmm. I guess, the last question and concern that I have for you is you just talked about some things that are going to cost me, right? If I bring in mm -hmm. these educators and so forth. So uh, like, am I just going to start making less money? And uh, how does that go about it, right? A, I think it's a great question because you're right. The average, call it, you know, the independent, that's who we serve. The average independent already feels they're overworked, underpaid, understaffed, and, you know, likely they're waiting for their team members to walk. Am I going to have a, if we're going to have a staff today, you know, there's, and therefore, how can I do something different if, if I don't have time, because I have all of these things on my my plate, if that's where our average colleagues are, it, it's very easy to go, whoa, that is, I don't have time for that one, or that's going to cost me. I, I think some, some areas, whether it's adding specialty care or really bringing in new treatments that allow the patient to get better beyond what you're already doing in the practice, those have some direct revenue benefits. But I think we also have to be aware of the indirect benefits that come from a lot of these things. Again, you can think creatively outside the box of how to make a diabetic diabetic educator work or a, a health coach work, but these extra steps that you're taking are really truly differentiating your practice and at the same time, differentiating your experience. One of the things the pandemic showed everybody in business is that patient loyalty consumer loyalty is completely up for grabs and the pandemic totally you know upended uh, all when it comes to customer experience and business loyalty it upended all of that 
And look, this, there's statistics out there that if you can create an amazing experience, you will have patients and customers for, for life. And so when you're thinking outside the box and you're providing these extra services, you may not, you may not be generating direct revenue, but from a diabetic education standpoint, that's a billable service. Insurance companies out there will pay for it. So if they're paying your practice to do it, that's a direct revenue. But from a health coach standpoint, if it means taking your patients from your glaucoma patients from, you know, every 12 months when they should be every six, now you got two visits in there, or they really need to be coming in every four months because they're more advanced, but they're really, or even three months, but they're still, eh, you know, it's sneaking out four or five months. That creates other revenue opportunities because you're seeing the patients at the time that they need to be seen. I mean, here's an, here's another, uh, an, another digital health option when it comes to long-term outcomes. There's in the AMD space, there's devices out there that allow patients to track their you know, the status of their AMD, it's kind of at home Ambler grid, but it's monitored remotely. So the doctor gets an immediate alert if a patient has a significant change in their vision. Now their long-term outcomes are much, much better. And that patient has a great experience from the practice because they know their doctor is going to be alerted if anything changes, and then they get seen far sooner. So again, you have to think about it in indirect revenue benefits, but from a patient experience standpoint, from a loyalty to your practice, from a differentiation standpoint, to patients going back and telling their primary care, hey, my doctor's got, my optometrist got this really great stuff that they're doing in the practice, the at home, they're going to now send more patients your way because that PCP knows the patient's going to get the much better care or the the you know great differentiated eye care in your practice. So again, you got to think about it in a little bit more indirect revenue standpoint. But there's a ton of revenue benefits from thinking about these things. Justin, you're 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 uh, you're asking us to stop and think again. <laughs> I think you've provided an incredible amount of uh, of value here with regards to thinking about things in some different ways. I I sure appreciate you joining us for the podcast today. And uh, any last closing comments about how to make our practices better? I think you hit it. First of all, thanks for having me on the podcast. I really do love the opportunity just to get to share some of these ideas uh, with our colleagues. I really do appreciate it. But I think it really comes back to taking that, taking a step back to think, as, as we've talked about a few times now. I think my parting words, and this is really one of my biggest passions, is Seeing both clinical care and profitable business is two mutually inclusive concepts. You know, we can we take and are focused on delivering great patient care and monitoring outcomes and being a part of an integrated, effective healthcare system. And at the same time, running a profitable business and being able to support your patients and support your family, support your community, and improve your bottom line, those aren't mutually exclusive. There's no, there's nothing wrong with being focused on doing both of those. And I think that's the biggest thing that, you know, I want us again, to take a step back and think about and make some changes in our practices to advance that. Yeah. Awesome. Great insights. Well, thank you for joining us for this episode of the OI show. We're sure honored to have had you, uh, Justin, uh, joining us and thank you for listening. Uh, make sure to like, and subscribe if you'd be uh, so kind as to leave us a five-star review. We can get this information out to other people. So please join us again next time for 
The Alive Show. 